Hey guys, just a quick heads up before we do this episode. Um, we had some mic issues here and there, um, specifically on Dodd's side. We tried to clear them up as best we can. Hopefully you guys understand while we do this episode. Occasionally, tech fails, life happens, but we appreciate you listening. All right, enjoy the episode, y'all. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Sprites of Life podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Chris. And I'm Don. So glad to have you guys here on another fantastic episode. Um, I, I had to put a little fish pun in there because I'm excited. We get to talk about a game I've looked at and never played before, just like so many other people. Ugh, you inspired. get to be the one Googling stuff today. Yeah, no, I didn't have to write the notes today. I didn't have to put together a Pokemon list or anything. I just just let you have it. You know how relieving that is? I thought it would be a good little bit to get Don to talk about some diving since he's he's a a frequent diver, or pretty much the only diver I know. So I thought we could talk about Subnautica. I remember when Jack Septicai, like when he was, you know, when I was young, I would watch him. And, like, see how much he loved that game. Like, that man basically sold that game. Have you ever played it, Don? Subnautica, a little bit. My sister actually has the VR version. Um, So I've played some of that, and that's really cool. I bet that's sick. It sounds really creepy. Well, I uh, have to step away for a second, so I will let you all handle the notes, but I will see you all back in the episode. Cool, thanks. See you in a bit. Alrighty, so while Chris is busy doing his thing, um, Don, what are your thoughts on manatees? If I say what I think, I will get in big trouble. Make it nice. No, I'm kidding. Um, I actually, I really like manatees. I, I, I really, I, I have a friend who's like a diehard manatee hater. Um, there's really there's, how can yeah, you hate yeah, manatees? His argument is that they're overgrazing the seagrass in areas that they traditionally couldn't live, but thanks to power plants, they can overwinter in new areas. Okay, fair enough. But I, I have not like, person... all the way on a study, but he's he's very diehard. Yes, the average person really likes manatees. I like manatees. I like seeing them. They're a very sort of one of the posters of charismatic megafauna in Florida, which I know we've talked about that before, but they're they're really crucial to the preservation of a lot of other wildlife habitat because again, people like them so much. But um, in any case, your friend might have someone who does not like dolphins to uh, not like manatees to talk to. And that is dolphins. Turns out. Oh, yes. Well, I, my friend also doesn't like dolphins, but. Well, good. He can dislike them more, maybe less. I don't know, because they've been will seen him, attacking. Him, I think this will make him like them more, actually. Okay. They've been seen attacking baby manatees. So, <laughs> add. I, I mean, I'm not even surprised. I feel like, don't they? There are, we already know they attack other porpoises, just like for funsies. I mean, we get that, but it's important to keep giving the data so that way some people can start realizing that dolphins are cool, but they're not friends. That be both. I mean, they're seeing dolphins go in and like separating the moms from the calves, seeing them bite. Apparently, and according to the article, and I'm reading this correctly, they were throwing them out of the water. They're kind of football shaped. Yeah, they're football shaped, but like the fact that the dolphins are able to like, oh, hang on, there it is, and and I quote, push the calf up to the surface while other dolphins attack the animal, ramming it with their rostrums and launching the calf into the air. Like they've seen bite marks on them, and they don't know why. I'm pretty sure it's just dolphins looking for something fun to do, but it's real scary when you think about it. 
Like the fact that they just don't care and are willing to just beat the snot out of some poor defenseless critter. I don't know. It, it's weird, but it's another thing to add to the pile on dolphins are weird, but it's also just nice to see that there's a research paper on it as opposed to like, I discovered it off like, Oh, like the new, like the general media, like I'm not going to go on a rant, but like when the general media gets a science article, usually they cut out the best parts. Or at least, you know, the important Interesting ones. that these have been uh, recorded mainly off the coast of Belize, um, at least from missing normal incidences, or if it's like a learned behavior from those dolphins specifically. Yeah, it's not like a Florida man story. It's just the dolphins out in that area that are causing it. And it's, I mean, dolphins pick up all kinds of weird stuff depending on where they're living. You should see the ones in Charleston. But these ones, I don't know. Hopefully they don't make a trip up here and start beating up our manatees. But um, anyway... As far as gaming news goes, we had two trailers drop. And another announcement, too, I saw today that I'm also equally hyped about, but I'll talk about that last. Okay, so we had two trailers drop. One of them was for the Borderlands movie. The other one was for Elden Rings. You want to talk about the thing that makes us happy or the thing that makes us go, eh? Let's start with the eh, and then we'll move to the positive. Cool. The Borderlands trailer dropped, and, um, yeah. Those are indeed some of the characters I've played with. I don't know. Yeah. I'm looking at this. It, it, someone said discount Guardians of the Galaxy energy. And I'm like, you're not wrong. Yeah. And like, I don't know. The fact that it's characters from the first and second games, um, the ages aren't really right for them to just be talking about discovering the vaults. I, I feel like it's like someone read the summary of Borderlands and just took some random characters from several games and slapped them into just a generic, like, find the MacGuffin story, which to be fair, the story of Borderlands 1 is basically just find the MacGuffin and shoot everyone. Um, so I guess like that's not that far, but I'll, I'll say I'm, uh, I'm skeptical. But who knows? Maybe it'll be fun. I'm like, I Normally I would complain about, and I am going to complain a little bit about some of the, the casting stuff, mainly like, and I, I'm a big Jack Black fan and he's a legit voice actor. I love him in Kung Fu Panda. But, like, I'm not sure why we couldn't have just had the voice of Claptrap be Claptrap. I know the original voice of Claptrap had some issues with, like, having to yeah, leave and when they the replaced Borderlands him. Yeah, the Borderlands voice of Claptrap I thought was pretty good. Yeah, he's pretty spot on, and the writing was the exact same, so it didn't matter. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't just use that legitimate voice actor. Yeah, and I, I'm a Kevin Hart fan. I like him. I don't know if he's a guy for Roland. I don't take him seriously because he's made Roland's almost like a billion dollars. Roland's, like, a bunch of humor. And Kevin Holland's like mainly like mainly a humor guy, and Roland's kind of normally like of the group of the Vault Hunters. I feel like he's kind of like like the straight man of the zany. I also feel that Lilith is the wrong age. Yeah, and I'm a Kate Blanchett fan. I think she's really good. Um, I don't know, she seems more like Lilith. Normally, is more like she's kind of more all over the place. She gets kind of dark in some of the later games, but generally, she seems more kind of upbeat. And this one, she seems very like negative. I guess I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. I'm, I feel like it's it's going to be. I don't think this is going. I don't think this is going in the Detective Pikachu slash Sonic movie pile. No, I think it this might is be going. going into... I just hope it doesn't go in the Dragon Ball Z pile. Yeah, no, please, anywhere but that. I'd rather it be mid than go to that pile. Um, I, I will say to be positive, loved the gun designs. I was say the. I was about to say the designs of the vehicles and the guns and sort of the some of that. Did I, I did like that. The bandits, spot on, and the makeup. Whoever did the makeup for Krieg and all the costuming deserves an award. Yeah, I think Krieg. the set design and the 
I'm I am very excited about that. I I think the set design. I, I'm gonna go see it just purely even for the visuals are looking very. Um, at least some of what we'll see on how some of the CGI action looks, but the gun design looks fantastic. Yeah, and and let's be honest, Borderlands has a bunch of weird, cringy, lolso, random humor scattered through it. So seeing it in a movie like this, I get it. But still, it's gonna be weird. I don't think it's gonna be great, but maybe it'll just be fun. Uh, onto more serious business, Elden Ring trailer dropped, and everyone completely forgotten that Nintendo did a direct today after that. <laughs> yeah, we have Shadow of the Erd Tree um finally dropped i believe our release date is sometime in june 21st i think maybe there's some cool collector's edition stuff i will restrain myself but you get a cool helmet (laughs) you get a cool helmet yeah so we think um given some sort of the the hints from the trailer i won't get it too into the lore we think this is going to involve mikola um who's melania blade of mikola's twin brother um who's like sleeping in a weird cocoon in the first game or in the main game and um, it sounds like that we'll be going into the world of shadows, so maybe a dream world type of thing, kind of like the painted world we saw in Dark Souls in Dark Souls 3. Um, so obviously different, but still from soft, so maybe a similar sort of thing. I'm going to imagine, given we're going into like the the shadow world and sleep is a aspect of Mikola's weapons and stuff we see in the main game. And there's only, the only enemies that inflict sleep in the main game are like two random crabs. So I'm guessing we're going to have a lot of sleep-based stuff in this DLC, if I had to guess. I mean, I'm going to assume there's ways you can stop being slept on, but I saw the dragon in the trailer just shooting lightning. There's Yeah, the dragons love shooting lightning in this one. In Dark Souls, they don't love shooting lightning. But yeah, I think uh, we're going to have... I don't know, I'm very excited. Um, I feel like they're really taking their time with it, especially like I think FromSoft typically does a very good job with their DLCs. Old Hunters was great for Bloodborne. I think the DLCs were the best part of Dark Souls 2, and I'm a Dark Souls 2 fan till I die. Uh, but yeah, I'm just really excited about it. Some of the new monster designs we saw in the trailer are really cool. And then other game news I saw is that there's going to be a... The real Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2 are being released for Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and the Switch. I saw that too. My brother shared it with me. Let's go. Screw you, Dice. Oh, yeah. I'm so you got a PlayStation, excited. right, Lucas? Oh my gosh, yes. We are totally gonna be. I also, yeah, this. yeah. We're gonna we're gonna get after that. Maybe we'll even maybe we'll even bust the capture card out. We'll do a stream. It's a sixty-four person multiplayer too. Oh my gosh, just my heart swoons. My heart swoons. Oh, I just wanna. For those of you who have never played the original Battlefront two, its ship battles were amazing. Its open Galactic battlefield of the. Oh my gosh. Like also dude, versus... the campaign. The campaign was incredible. Oh my gosh. The hero versus villains fights. The, he- the oh my gosh. And this is gonna include all the DLCs too. So uh I think Kit Fisto was Xbox only DLC, so he'll be playable and Alea Secura, I think, was the opposite. Plus the DLC maps, which I never even got to play when I was a kid because I just had a PlayStation 2 and back in my day we played the game that came on the disc oh kashik oh we get to fighting kashik again i loved the droid weapons like the droid vehicles oh my gosh Ooh, yeah i was all, I, I don't know i liked the uh the republic tank with the laser turret also hover good. tank i can't remember its name mm-hmm. that's like the hypest thing i freaking loved that game as a kid i remember so many freaking memories from that game 
I, I just hope they don't screw it up. I pray on my hands and knees that not some weird server issue or some weird monetary stuff put in. I am literally clasping my hands together. Just please, just let us have this. Please. Star Wars is not in its best shape. I only like some of the stuff. Let me have this game, please. Now I'm ready to learn about some fish. Don, if you could real quick, uh, you as you are the most frequent diver, at least of the three of us here, but do you mind just kind of doing through a run through of like what it takes to dive? What do you need to account for? What logistics are involved with it? Because I think it's a lot more complicated than people might expect. Yeah, yeah, I can I can jump into that a little bit without getting too too crazy with it at all. So diving, when we think of diving, like we typically, at least in the context of Subnautica, I mean, later on into the game, I know you get into like submersibles and stuff, but just when people think of diving, I guess primarily think of like scuba diving, where you're using a compressed air or um, you know, like nitrogen oxygen mix, depending on how true to atmosphere it is, can depend on the depth you're going to. Because a big thing with diving is pressure. Um, roughly every 33 feet of water is the equivalent of an Earth's atmosphere of pressure on you. So when you're diving, you're breathing a compressed air, a compressed gas mixture, not always strictly compressed air. Um, and the, the pressure of that as you dive um, is basically keeping the pressure in your lungs the same as the depth you're at. Um, because your lungs would otherwise be contracting under the pressure of the, uh, the depth of water. But you're basically keeping the pressurized air in your lungs, if that makes sense. So you're like kind of is it like kind of tricking your body? Kind of. Um, but like I said, a big the the biggest like a lot and a lot of the biggest dangers as well with scuba diving, other than the obvious things like just running out of breathable oxygen, um, are is a something called decompression sickness or the bends, um, which can cause a typically you see it in scuba divers if they um you were at depth and you came up too quickly. Um and it's basically a rapid decrease in the pressure that surrounds you, either air or water, which can cause um, nitrogen bubbles to form in your blood. And they kind of can collect in the joints, which causes you to uh, double over, which is why, like, the bends is uh, a common name for it. And and the only way to fight that is just to ascend at a... At a controlled depth, yeah. Divers that are doing, like, very deep, like, technical dives, like, greater than... Especially, like, the deeper you go, the one, the less breathable air you have as you go down. And you also, um, the level of difficulty and danger drastically increases, especially once you're getting, you start getting like past the hundred foot range. Um, you have to do, um, anyone that's done any diving, you learn about decompression stops where say you were diving at 60 feet on your way up. And I'm, I mainly free dive these days, which has a bunch of different rules. Um, but compression is a lot less of an issue, but you have to stop and decompress maybe 15, 30 feet from the surface and wait there while your body acclimates and continue to ascend very slowly. Um, and it's also very important to be exhaling um, and just breathe, really just breathing normally. But you really don't want to hold your breath while you ascend. The air in your lungs that was keeping them normal at a certain depth will suddenly be too much air when you're shallower. And uh, that's bad. Yeah, that's bad for it's. Yeah, that's generally bad for your lungs. That's the that's the technical side of diving. But uh, in terms of like the the wildlife that you might encounter for like, what's it like? in a world where you kind of have to be like aware 360 degrees all around you because anything can come at you from anywhere. Yeah. So yeah, in terms of wildlife, I mean, obviously people are at a massive disadvantage in the water. It doesn't how many counts. It doesn't really matter how good your fins are. 
or anything like that. I mean, once you start getting into some like, you know, certain levels of technology, things change, but you're just way less maneuverable than everything. You have a more limited field of view than everything. You can't breathe. Even if you have like scuba equipment or something like that, you're still breathing is restricted and hampered a little bit, or at least in terms of time as well. Um, and you, you just have to sort of, I mean, basically every animal around you has every advantage, unless it's like a seahorse. <laughs> the poor seahorses. Not their fault. They're built for the grass. Like anything they can, like those things are probably some of the most fragile creatures on the planet. And I have no idea how we keep them in the aquariums. They will, they're, they're they will weird. never be top dog. They have to eat so much too for something that barely moves. Don, thank you for that. So we can jump into the game. Subnautica, the game, was developed and published in 2018 by Unknown Worlds Entertainment. And in the game, the player controls Riley Robinson, who is stranded on a planet that is known to you as 4546B. The planet is mostly ocean, and the bulk of Subnautica takes place underwater. There's like a couple islands or bits or whatever, but mostly diving underwater. So Riley moves through this open underwater world, carrying out missions, just trying to survive. It's a little bit different, though, because it's not like your I said it carries out. It's not your traditional, like, do a mission, get a reward type quest. It's more sandboxy kind of, right? Yeah, yeah, it's there. There is stuff to do and you can do it, but it's not that they were actively trying to stay away from that. He was actually the creator. Uh, when they came up with the idea, was actually inspired by Minecraft. I, I, I can see that it does a very Minecraft sort of. Yeah, yeah. It, there, there, there is an ultimate goal for sure, but how you get there is very much like up to you as the player. So, uh, one bit that I do really like about the game is that there are a couple different modes to play, much like all games. But they have they have one game mode where. Not only is your health and oxygen, which are very important as Don illustrated while you're diving, but it also tracks your hunger and thirst levels to make sure that you are keeping those up uh, in your survival of this this foreign planet. But you also have a permadeath mode that is the same as the it's basically it tracks your hunger, your health, your oxygen and your thirst. But much like all those other games that love to torture their players, when you die, your game is over. And there's just something about the the style that the game is. It just feels very, I don't know. I it, it kind of makes me want to play it like again and just go through it that way, you know. Now the game has different biomes that you can navigate. So you have the safe shallows, the crash zone, the mushroom forest, which is a super dope underwater mushroom forest. Lucas, you should look that up. The kelp forest and the grassy plateau. And inhabiting all of these, well, have, do you see the mushroom forest, Lucas? Yeah, I'm seeing it. I think it's I, I think it's see, so pretty. It's very pretty. I'm just looking at this and I'm trying to figure out like underwater salt resistant fungus at this size. It's like I'm just looking at the ecosystem because it it has this thing where it's trying to treat the fungus like a plant just from the artwork. And that's what I find interesting because fungi are more closer to animals than they are to plants, so they have this bright, shiny... Not really, uh, maybe they're not really fungi. Maybe they're like a a weird algae or something. Maybe. I mean, that's the thing. It might just look like a fungus, and that might just be it. Yeah, it's got the wide discs and everything to collect, so maybe it is just a, an organism, but it's in a shallow reef area, so I, I guess it could just be another plant or some kind of algae. He's right. Yeah. I just think it looks so pretty but and then the uh so we have the six zones so what i've done is i've kind of gone through the zones 
Uh, while some of these fish do cross over between other zones, I tried to make sure that we got one that was representative of each uh, from the ones that I just listed. So we'll start off with the nice, safe uh, early zone. We have the safe shallows. And one that I, that I like, it's so cute, but it's called the Gary fish. So the Gary fish is a passive fish. Will not attack you. Looks super cute. You can eat it, much like all the other things. <laughs> There is a definite SpongeBob vibes uh, with the, with its little stock eyes. It's just it just looks like a happy little fella, uh, but it's mostly just kind of gliding through the water, minding its own business. Uh, it is diurnal, so I believe it is mostly active during the day. Is is correct? Um, so like a few, like a lot of fish are kind of um generalist in terms of that but some fish definitely have preferences um some fish though are very much like hardcore diurnal um i would i would use uh parrot fish as a good example at least most of them um on the reef you'll see them at night they'll actually like date they're out there chomping coral grazing on algae and all that and then at night you'll see them they'll actually make a cocoon out of mucus and kind of wedge themselves up in a rock and the mucus will act like a scent proof sleeping bag to hide them from uh, predators Oh, that's pretty slick. Fish are weird and gooey. It is slick. <laughs> it's mucus. Are, are fish that are diurnal easier to catch if you catch them in the certain points, or is that the, are they just like too good at hiding? Um, it might depend. Something like a parrotfish, like definitely. I know I've done gone on some night dives to like collect and just like like look. And there's definitely certain fish where kind of wedged up in a rock. I think you see it. I've seen some videos from um tide pool areas too at night um i think some tang species as well will just sort of kind of wedge themselves in something and i imagine they'd be easier to catch so long as you uh don't like startle them like even fish when are they're not paying attention they're still pretty ready to ready to move actually here too um a fish called a sheep's head um sometimes at night they'll come very shallow and basically seem like they're sort of just sleeping just drifting back and forth in the in the waves those are the the spooky ones of teeth right yeah they're also delicious <laughs> oh yeah we have big ones at a lot of aquariums just because they do so well in human care and you'll see the fishermen start to salivate when they look at them yeah it's true so the 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 last bit for the gary fish is the stock eyes now i might be wrong but stock eyes are not typical for a fish correct yeah i mean not really i mean i'm sure there's some weird exception i'm not looking up right don you probably know one or two so in terms of stock i like true stocked eyes off the top of my head i can't think what i mean I will say, I would assume maybe, does the Gary fish bury itself at night? Uh, I don't think so, but that would make sense for it. So eyes, eyes very high on the top of the head like that could indicate a fish that, you know, either spends a lot of its time on the bottom or like actively buries itself with just its eyes exposed. The mouth of it doesn't really match that of like a upwards facing ambush predator like some fish with eyes high on their head are but like the body shape with the mouth and the eyes kind of reminds me of a fish called a sea robin oh i love those those are great i'm gonna get a picture of that oh yeah kind of long skinny little buddies yeah i'm not sure. and like the way his pectoral fins are i can't tell if they really can fan out like a sea robins and sea robins also have the modified um pelvic and part of their pectoral fins that look like little little fingers and they kind of scoot along the bottom with that sometimes so I could see him maybe with, with eyes like that, kind of an extreme example, but he'd be sort of creeping along the bottom um, and the eyes elevated with those angles would let him see 
all around him very well. So he'd be pretty alert to threats from the uh, from the sides and above. I can get down with that. That's a cool looking fish too. Honestly, as far as like fictional fish go, like this isn't really too bad. Like this isn't like oh my gosh, this is a a front to anything in an ecosystem. Like no, the fossil record has shown us that there have been far weirder creatures on our own world. So I don't see any issues. I see a little bit of box fish in him too, maybe. Oh, they you're right. A little bit of Tetradonte. Yeah, I don't. They don't quite have the eye stocks, and this guy's clearly not poisonous if you can eat him. But yeah, I like this guy. I mean, if that's something, the barrel eye sort of has upward facing eyes, but they don't count because they're inside its head. That's clear. Yeah, weird. Yeah, they're weird. Always weird. All right. So I mean, if that's a normal one, that that was our starter. What else are you throwing at us? I think that might be the only normal one we have. So the okay, uh, oh, okay. We're, we're, the larval black dragonfish has eye stocks. Okay, so there we got so we got something. It's not too crazy. It's a little crazy. It's not actually crazy. the most insane thing I've ever seen. Would you say the larval black dragon? The larval black dragonfish. Good heavens! Yeah, That's I don't know about that one. A, oh yeah, here yeah. you go. Enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about I don't know about that one. Uh, <laughs> so moving into the into the next zone, uh, this one actually I feel like. Uh, Lucas, you actually know this one. So this one is, I think, a little bit more well-renowned. But we have the Stalker. I have heard of the Stalker. I've heard of it just because it is, like, one of the most common... You know when you have your thumbnail for anything in this game? Like, this is usually what people use, is this critter. Is this critter or one of the um, Leviathans? So the Stalker is not passive. And it is a carnivore. Uh, and it is a long boy, and I'm pretty sure it's 90% snout if you look at the photos. <laughs> so the the only thing that I can really think about with that mouth is it it reminds me of the um what are those alligators like uh, is it garials? An alligator garials like a long nose gar. Oh oh, oh a long nose gar. Yeah, garials would be it. But it also reminds it me. It almost of the looks like an ichthyosaur more than a fish almost. Yeah, it's more reptilian, which. Like, I know what they're going for. Because, look, it's got the fins of a whale. So this thing used to be on land. Like, if you look at them, hang on, I'll show you what I'm looking at. So if you look at its at its fins, you'll notice... Nope, that's another same picture. Okay, my bad. So with whales and other mammals that have made their way into the ocean, they have a very interesting bone-like spread out that makes them... It's very easy to tell that they could have been on land if you know their bone structure. Look at the rear flippers on this creature and how they're dinky and barely used. These might be the remnants of legs. So back in the prehistoric times where there was probably more land, this creature was living there, but then made its way into the ocean. And then was like, you know what? I don't think I will. <laughs> yeah. And went to the ocean. Uh, it also, its teeth and just its jaws in general all are built to hunt fish. Mm -hmm. I Very don't know why it wants... Yeah, no, this is like a super fish eater. I don't know why it wants to hurt you. So I have, I, I think it wants to hurt you because it likes shiny. Oh, much things. like the people that get bit by barracudas. <laughs> yeah, that's you get for wearing jewelry in the reef. <laughs> the, uh, the stalker loves metal. They steal metal of all kinds and sneak it back to their nests. I don't think we really know why. So like maybe they're collecting it. I don't know if it has something that like it helps its nests with. It could be a like a bowerbird situation, like it, it's it's showing it off to the opposite sex. Yeah, that's a, that that was the only thing I could really think of is either that it's trying to show off, 
it has like some benefit for being in the nest like maybe some kind of defensive thing or it's just it's a collector like we are <laughs> it's just like shiny things i just love it because it proves that they've thought of an evolutionary path or at least i think they might have uh, i also like how as scary as this thing is it's considered like what a minor threat in the game as far as other things go so one question that I did want to ask is it has, if I count correctly, seven dorsal fins. Why would something need that many dorsal fins? So, okay, I can maybe feel that. So that could actually just be a single dorsal fin. Um, but instead of being like contiguous with like the spines spreading across the fins, it could just be just dorsal spines with like a little extra flare to them. Um, which like we see in some fish, not really to this degree, some fish like a cobia have finlets, like they have their small dorsal fin and then like little spiky mini fin behind it. And that kind of almost reminds me of this, but this is much more pronounced, kind of has a stegosaurus kind of look going on. Um, the fact that they're so spaced out, I mean, it could be a little bit of maneuverability or something. It could also be for displaying, uh, maybe like it, you know, showing your like genetic fitness or just um, maybe thermoregulation. Could be. Maybe could help be. To, like to offset some heat. I mean, if it's in tropical waters, then it might need to offset some of that heat in warmer areas. I know there are warmer areas in the game, so that might be another reason it has it. Or, apparently, according to Subnautica Below Zero, this is a cousin of it, and that could have been used to thermoregulate because it lived in the cold, and that's how it try and gets rid of gets more heat or gets absorbed sunlight in some way. And then that's just a feature that kind of got passed along. There's a lot could be speculated, but... It's pretty cool. So the next one, the next one, Lucas, I actually asked you to tackle this one because you like Joe. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's something called a jelly ray, and I'm going to go ahead and find a picture of it. It's one of those weird ones where out of all the things you could have sent me, um, this creature is somehow less dangerous than both the things it's named after. Well, from what I understand of this creature, all it really does is it floats around in darker areas and it just glides aimlessly, dragging around and looking, for, dragging tentacles behind it. It it doesn't really do much. Like, I don't even know what it eats. It screams. Like, that's the weird part. It screams. That's all it does. Like, why does it scream? I don't know. It's got a lot of feelings. Uh, and apparently they used the, the Jelly Ray scream. They used wolf howls to make it for the game. And I'm like, cool, but why? Did you just want to set the random diver on edge while you're, like, doing your thing? I get it. It's funny, but still. So, like, it definitely has the manta ray feel with that long, long spine. But why would it need the tentacles and the long spine? Okay. So, jellyfish are old, and their strategy hasn't really changed too much in hundreds of millions of years. Their tentacles are designed to grab food floating in the water as they float in the water. Some of them have some form of locomotion. They're able to move a little bit, but most of them are at the mercy of the current. Because of that, those tentacles are going to use their stinging cells, their pneumatises, to basically catch on to prey items and then drag them towards the mouse for them to consume. Uh, it also doubles as a nifty protection against anything trying to hurt them, and jellyfish throughout the hundreds of millions of years have developed some rather nasty toxins. Weirdly enough... The toxins that would super kill like a random fish trying to eat them will also super kill a random primate off the coast of Australia just trying to go for a swim, i.e. 
us. They, they don't discriminate. Um, the ray part of it, not all rays are venomous. So there are things like the manta ray that don't have a venomous spine. There are but some are electric. That are related to... Yeah, I mean, some are electric. Some of them are like the electric ray in Florida. Just, you go, bzz, not even that like bat of a jolt. It's just still quite shocking. I got shocked yeah. by a torpedo ray in Baja one time. Really? How bad? I mean, it was different. <laughs> he he was he was just a little guy. I was trying. To, I was diving for clams, and I put my hand on top of one that was buried. Oh, uh, okay. It felt like um, you know those you know those gum. I I was I was through gloves too. You know those gums that you pull the trigger or you pull the like fake gum and it shocks you. Yeah. Kind of goes up to your elbow ish. Maybe it was like that level of shock. Okay. To be quite frank, that's way better than getting stung by a stingray. Oh yeah, I I've been stung by a stingray too. That sucked more. It's awful. Um, if you've never been stung, count yourself lucky. You're, it's not lethal. It's just excruciatingly painful. Um, the cure is hot water because it breaks down the protein the venom is made out of. But it's still, it hurts a whole lot, and you got to go to the doctor. And if you got stung in the foot, you might be off your feet a few days. The point is, in the real world, our, both rays and jellyfish are way scarier than this floating, peaceful, screaming blob. It kind of reminds me of the uh, G. Atlanticus sea slug, the blue sea dragon. Oh, you're right. Just a little bit. Yeah, he doesn't have an, he doesn't have the little arms, but I don't know. Maybe it's just the coloration. I mean, it also has bioluminescence, like everything else in this game. Like, Chris, how much is bioluminescent in this game? <laughs> there's a lot. There, okay. There, more, more than not. I mean, there's a lot of bioluminescence out here, and you just don't see much of it because it's at the bottom. <laughs> um, I will say according to the thing it travel it generates its own light source, but it also looks for light in order to track and find. Now there are plenty of jellies that actually use moonlight in order to uh, reproduce. Um, so there's a lot of um studies done on these animals that they will go towards the surface when the moon is full, and then they'll just spawn. So this could be reproductive. This could be because whatever food source is going after is also attracted to the light. It could be that they're attracted to the light because they think it's another of their own kind, and they're going to follow that for other kinds of reproduction. So it's not too far off base. I just think it's really funny that this creature screams for no reason other than to make you upset and uncomfortable. Yes, and it's and it's very good at it. <laughs> what so... is that? Oh, it's just a jellyfish. Don't worry about it. Look at him float by. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just like one of my favorite things to do at work is to watch people see the jellyfish and think, oh, my gosh, look how majestic they take pictures. I'm just imagining behind the glass is the muffled scream. of Just the screaming. <laughs> yeah. Could you look imagine a jellyfish jelly. just ah, scream? Ah, ah, how majestic. <laughs> You're not wrong. What if they are just in a frequency we can't hear? Yeah, like, oh, someone just puts a radio, and it's just, like, one random note later. Just, like, the, the cutoff scream. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris. That's... You're good. So It so kills me. The uh, Well, speaking of killing you, uh, the oh next fish uh, is called the crash fish. I'll get the picture. Oh, I put notes on this, I thought. Oh, oh yeah, I did. I did. Okay, I didn't see it initially. But, yes, go ahead. The crash fish is a, is a pretty cool one. I, I like the crash fish a lot. But basically, there are these plants uh, called the crash fish plants that the fish like lives inside. It's their home. And the plant, if you get too close, the plant will open up and this fish will just like launch itself like full on charge at you. 
it does have the capability to just full on explode itself and kill itself while attacking you and defending it. It it is a like it has no account for itself. It just charges you and blows up if it wants to. I'm getting Malaysian exploding ant vibes. I thought about the explosion ants ants also, yeah. What what are these ants? The it's an ant and it explodes when you upset it. I figured that was enough of a description that you needed, but if you want the chemistry behind it, I guess. Um, <laughs> there's a group of ants that can do this, and basically it's more like a last line of defense. When this ant is about to die, or if it's in a struggle, they have two chemical streams down their body, and so if they contort their body, they can make the streams touch, and if Ghostbusters taught us anything, it's if you cross the stream, something crazy happens. In this case, um, it causes... They're, the chemical reaction causes like a sticky, burning, almost napalmy like substance to come out. And instead of like a fiery bang, it's more like a deflating like souffle of death. Any other animal caught in it is going to be caught in this burning, awful chemical stink. It's not great. Needless to say, it is an endangered species for one reason or another. I think it's the exploding, but you know, what do I know? And Don, how territorial are fish or can um, fish so be? some fish can be very territorial um even you can see it in aquariums well enough but um, a like particular thing that it made me think of um are the uh certain a lot of other fish will do it as well but damselfish certain species of damselfish have uh preferred algaes that they like eat and they'll selectively sort of pluck out any other algae or anything that's caused like any debris that's blocking their little patch on the reef and they'll also like jealously um, attack other fish, like regardless of their size. They'll come up and I mean, this might be a two inch fish. And if you're scuba diving or free diving or just am near it, it'll start trying to come over and nipping at you and stuff. They're very uh, territorial towards other fish. They'll they'll co they'll go after a shark if they feel like he's he's in their zone. There's some hilarious videos of very small damselfish being very aggressive. The sergeant majors that aquariums have, like the ones I've seen, the most aggressive fish in a tank full of over 40 different species and 550 different fish, the sergeant majors are the meanest. If you go anywhere near their barrel spuns, they will try biting you. Now, yeah, granted, yeah, sergeant majors, yeah, once again, a damselfish. Of, yeah, just, yeah. It's, the, it's the only damsel I'm the most familiar with. Anytime, the divers scrub that thing every day. They go towards it every single day. And those fish do not care. They are going to try and kill you if you go near their barrel sponge. Every time. Yeah, Lucas is dead on. In aquariums as well, um, you know, when you're setting up a new aquarium, people will cycle it. And maybe when you're first setting it up, you'll put in some fish you don't. Typically cheaper fish that, you know, ideally ones you want in your tank. But also if the tank's not quite at 100%, like, it's better to lose, like, potentially a less valuable fish right away. Um, and damsels are popular for early cycling of tanks because they're very hardy and they, they do have exciting personalities and many of them are very pretty. Um, but it, it's not uncommon that people, now the damselfish are used to having that whole tank to themselves. And when people add their, their sort of display fish, even if it's much larger, the damselfish will just mercilessly bully it. <laughs> this, is a, this is a mean fish. Yeah, it's tiny. There's like, there's one called the blue devil incredibly aptly named it is both very blue and evil you know i've often found the trigger fish to also be evil as well triggers and puffers are also full of hate but they just have hate in their hearts the damsel fish is just defending his lawn yeah uh, the fact that it just shoots out and explodes is pretty funny 
But like, it's it's not too far out of the ordinary to think evolution could make you a step in the right direction, wrong direction, whatever you want to call self-immolation. Yeah, the one thing with them that's interesting is I feel like they would be um they should they should be a hive-based fish in my opinion. I feel like the only like suicidal levels of uh, self-defense only really works in like a hive scenario, unless it's like an octopus. It's like an octopus. Think about it. Octopuses have to once they spawn and leave their eggs somewhere, then they basically go through senescence. And I think I see this as another form of senescence where you think they of spawn in every... the plant and then they're just ready to explode. Yeah, then they're all set to die because the plant will take care of the eggs. So what we're seeing is the fully matured ones that are going into the plants to lay their eggs, and then they can just kill off whatever trying to attack it as a last line of defense. That's an actual, I like that a lot. Stay away from my kids! Ne- Finding Nemo would have been a lot shorter uh, <laughs> with the crash fish. <laughs> that barracuda would have been shook. Still, how, how does a barracuda eat clownfish eggs out of a hole? That's what I want to know. Yeah, it's an ambush predator. Why would it go after the eggs? Because it has hate in its heart. I don't know. People are still scared of those fish thanks to that movie. Like People look at the barracuda and go like, is this like Finding Nemo? And it's like, no. Or if you want them to go away, yes. Yes, it is. Curse and or bless that movie. Curse and or bless that movie. What other horrifying monstrosities do you got? Uh, this one's actually not horrifying. We're going to end on a happy note. So the last one we've got is the Reefback Leviathan. I like this guy. So the Leviathan class, there's I think there's three Leviathan types throughout the game. Uh, the Reefbacks, I think, are the, the most pleasant. You can look at a sea dragon later. But the Reefbacks are basically just like a giant floating ecosystem unto themselves. It kind of reminded me of like what happens with a whale fall, except this creature is not dead. Lucas, you said something about it. It was just kind of like a moving coral reef. Yeah. So how a coral reef functions at its most basic level is it's a symbiotic relationship. The organisms get a place that allows them safety, like the algae that lives on the coral that gives it its color, gets a place of safety. And in return, the coral is then going to get both um of source of coloration which could be useful for a number of different reasons but also they get to eat their waste so this thing is eating their poop of whatever's living on this thing just just so you know that's how it's feeding itself Uh, and the amount of energy and the amount of nutrients that a reef could produce if you were a singular organism that could collect all of that into your body like we have, we see barnacles and everything from boats to sea turtles, and it's almost a symbiotic relationship too. If it was using it not only as a source of nutrients, but also as camouflage. So imagine if you could like land down onto like a sandy area and hold still enough so that way the big creature doesn't notice that you're in the smoke pile you just produced of dust. Yeah, I think these things are giant though, right? So this thing is 70 meters long. So. About the size of a, a cargo plane. I'm just thinking as well, as long as the lines that I'm seeing this thing, the amount of time it would take to get this size reef on a normal coral reef system, like, this would take over 100 years to produce. Like, on our planet. A, a reef system takes time. Coral reefs do not grow quickly. There is entire organizations dedicated to forcing corals to grow quickly in order to save coral reefs because they grow so slow. All right, so I have a slight theory. Um, I'm trying to find, like, looking at different pictures of different angles. 
uh, maybe his ba- the back of the brief back Leviathan because like I see a little bit of I mean the the passive filter feeding is not really in their their general thing but I do get Seth- cephalopod vibes a little bit from him. Um, and the the big back part like reminds me of like a cuddle bone, or like even like I said like a Nautilus's shell, which are like very high in calcium, which I would imagine for a coral being a calcium skeleton based critter, um, would probably be like an excellent substrate. So maybe their bodies are also sort of adapted to be the best possible coral substrate so and and if it's feeding off of the coral waste it's basically just like making its own food it's like come here feed me and it works out While getting additional armor we know that some coral stinging cells we see animals in real life do that um, so it could it could be very like multifaceted you talked about you know what what could be hunting this thing <laughs> and we've got the sea dragon leviathan which, if you want some nightmare fuel from this game, that's what this thing is. It's the hands. I'm sorry, the hands make it goofy. I yeah, like I, the Reaper Leviathan is definitely spooky, but like this thing is like I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a squid with a with a T Rex stuck on the. the if Godzilla top of it. and Cthulhu had a baby, <laughs> yeah. But again, it's the hands. The hands make it look silly. Look at him. Look at his little grippy grabbers. Yeah, he just wants to give you a grab. Just here to grab you. Now, I think, so the Reaper Dawn is about 55 meters from what I saw. So that one's smaller. So it's not as big. He's not that big. This thing, 112 meters. 367 feet. It is bigger than a football field. These things are massive. And we talked about it grabbing things as a joke, Lucas. Uh, it says uh, it, it says that they will grab. The only thing it'll eat is other Leviathans because it's so big. And it eats them by finding smaller ones and dragging them to like the lava areas that they like to live in and boiling them alive. That is not great. That does indicate a level of intelligence too, though. I mean, it's got hands and it's cooking. So like, Mm -hmm. how smart is it really? (laughs) Too smart for that, for what it looks like. Too smart. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this again. We really appreciate y'all coming in and tuning in. We love doing this. Um, Hopefully next episode we'll have some Pokemon stuff because the announcement is coming up and like less than a week from recording this. So until then, have a wonderful rest of your day or night. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye, everybody.